His Own Funeral by Melba Russell McCallum From Argosy Magazine, July 10, 1920 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman His Own Funeral by Melba Russell McCallum in Paintown, a scrap of gossip was eagerly snapped up and munched over and over that no particle of flavor might escape what wonder then that it was almost too much for mental digestion that mort greaves wife ran away with the city fellow the town buzzed and buzzed the stillworks as they called the chemical plant buzzed too both Mort Greaves and the city fellow, whose name was Canfield, were employed at the stillworks. Mort had operated one of the big stills for years. Canfield had blown in nonchalantly six months before, with impudent good looks and gaily colored silk socks. His quick wit had soon won him good pay, but his airs had never made him a favorite with the men. The morning after the tragedy, Mort appeared at his post as usual, only more grim and oddly silent. "'He's been at the drink again,' opined old Casper Judd, who washed stock-pots, "'and a Greaves can't stand a drink. It makes a brute of Greaves, does drink.' "'Well, who's to blame him?' spoke up Mrs. Buttery, who cleaned young Payne's office every morning. "'With Linda serving him that away. Casper merely shrugged, but an acid voice took up the argument. Trust a female to condemn her own sex. Mort had no cause to lose Linda, not a mite. No one liked sour old Zook very well, but he usually hit the nail on the head. He could have kept her easy enough if he'd been a mind to, but he was peeved on account of getting stung with a gold brick from that there mine agent and being peeved he set to drinkin saturday nights and you can guess what kind of sabbath linda put in after them saturday night sprees for like casper said no greaves can't stand drinkin he must have give the girl a swell time of it but he was always smart enough to sober up by monday till now so young payne wouldn't catch on mrs buttery persisted virtuously she took him for better and worse. She should have stuck anyways. Fiddlesticks, commented Ed Zook. I don't blame her. Only thing I'm afraid of, she'll find she's jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Ah, uh, yeah, that's what beats me, agreed Peter Wimble, the foreman, mildly. What can a nice girl like Linda see in that cigarette-lip-silk-socked dude barring all thought of right and wrong suddenly the talk subsided young payne made his usual crisp entrance cool well-groomed curt he gave his orders for the day to wimble and before he left he shot a frowning glance in mort greaves direction presently before the talk began again mort greaves was seen to leave his still in the far end of the room slowly he approached the group. There was an ominous something about him that made them catch their breath. 
Cackle away, old hens, he said quietly. Hash it all over good. Nothing more happened, but they all agreed that there was danger ahead. They discussed their pros and cons more guardedly. The next day was just the same, only more tense. If anything, Mort was more grim, blacker of brow. His silence was positively menacing. Young Payne looked worried. He was short-handed, and Mort's was a more important post, not easy to fill. Head shook portentously. The third day. No one could mistake Mort's condition now. He was obviously intoxicated at his still. Mouths gaped. It was just a question of time now before young Payne's wrath would fall. Then, at ten o'clock, while they were all trembling over what young Payne would do, the door opened quietly and the city fellow stepped in. He wore his old insolent grin and proceeded to unroll his coveralls. He had come back to work. But somehow the moment passed, as moments do. Mort turned a sickly green, but did not move from his still. More tenseness. Canfield swaggered up to Wimble for orders. Wimble hesitated. He knew how badly young Payne needed men. They were behind on their orders. He set Canfield to work. And again the day went on. But there was very little talk now. They did not dare talk. God, Canfield back and Mort drunk at his still? The directness of the prospect plumbed their imagination. To tell the truth, no one was more surprised at Mort Greaves' quietude than Mort himself. He was not too drunk to wonder why he did not kill Canfield at once, and done with it. It would be easy to make away with the puppy. Three running steps, and he could fling himself at Canfield's throat. With the clear part of his brain, he measured out the distance many times that day. Canfield was puny. He was a giant. It would be so easy. Too easy, in fact. Maybe that was the reason he desisted. But there was really another reason. Although drunk, Mort was already the victim of remorse. He knew in his addled mind that he had been a brute to Linda. He knew that he had driven her to what she had done. And he realized now, when it was too late, how much he cared for her. Why, her little finger was dearer to him than all the world besides. Therefore, it was a fool's reasoning, of course, but how else can a man reason with his veins full of cheap whiskey? Therefore, he would begin his atonement by not thwarting her now. If she wanted Canfield, she should have him. I ain't a-gonna start nothing, he resolved, doggedly. I been mean enough to her already. That night he drank again, deeply, seeking relief from memory. But relief did not come. He kept thinking of how he had tracked mud through their pretty cottage, and had gone to bed with muddy boots on. Of the mean things he had said, of how once he had struck her, 
and left a blue mark on her round white arm god couldn't a man drink enough to forget those things it seemed not and all the time he never swerved from his strange resolution not to lay a finger on canfield the fourth day the city fellow began to whistle at his work he even spoke cautiously it was true of his girl he intimated that life was rosy for her now no one replied that afternoon young Payne discharged mort you know i don't employ drinking men greaves he said coldly i've stood this longer than i should get your time at the office mort nodded dully and shut off the still you hear me snapped Payne. i'm going muttered mort but he did not go young Payne's attention was called away and mort still puttered around his still although he could not read the gauge correctly now he hated to leave it an hour before closing time whipple told canfield to clean out a drum in preparation for the morrow the drum had recently held a chemical which gave off an explosive gas it was very hard to make out through the bunghole whether it was thoroughly cleaned or not canfield drew a match from his pocket old casper saw the act stop you fool he shouted whipple did his duty he made a dash for canfield and tried to knock the match down but the city man sprang away like a cat ah hell he sneered you babies make me sick and before anyone could interfere again he struck the match no one took any chances now whipple zook old casper all deadly pale fled in wild haste they knew what would happen mort greaves knew too but he did not move he was feeling dully sorrowful about his dismissal he loved the big thundering still that he had tended so long and so well he patted it sentimentally and a tear rolled down his cheek there was just one consolation about being fired he considered he would now be free to drink all the time and surely surely if one drank all the time all the liquor in the world one could find forgetfulness nonchalantly canfield held the match to the bunghole and peered in mort watched him in a detached sort of way then the explosion mort was flung into a corner he heard canfield shriek god my eyes at once flames broke out stockpots of inflammables were excellent food for flames blinking mort watched the scene he was becoming sober by leaps and jumps and he knew that he would presently be a dead man if he didn't do something and do it quickly already the smoke was stifling he sprang up and beat his fists against the flimsy office partition beside him it gave way and he gulped a great breath of fresh air and started headlong for safety then canfield screamed again i'm pinned in here my god i'm dying like a dog mort halted 
nature had made him brave and simple-minded he had once rescued a boy from drowning and a woman from being scalded moreover instinct is the quickest thing on earth whether it be the instinct of self-preservation or to save the life of another afterward however mort liked to believe that it was his resolution not to start nothing that sent him back to get canfield although it can hardly be called starting something to decline to risk almost certain death anyway whatever it was he faced the hades again swiftly found canfield wrenched him free picked him up but when he got back to the office it was all blazing there was no escape he yelled like a mad bull and carried canfield over to a trapdoor near his own still and together they plunged down into a small unlighted cellar still acting on instinct he laid canfield down gently why didn't you kill me and have done with it whimpered canfield you've got me where you want me ain't you my eye is gone my legs almost cut in two i shan't fight back shut up growled mort we'll both get out quick enough when the stills fall through then he muttered to himself the formula which had guided him the past two days i ain't gonna start nothing cause she loves him he sat down hugging his knees waiting eleventh-hour repentance came over canfield i done you a dirty trick he moaned mort turned fiercely in the darkness his fingers sought and found canfield's thin neck he let them rest upon it musingly why not canfield ought to die canfield was gasping and calling monotonously upon the deity suddenly mort withdrew his hand i ain't a gotta start nothing he said aloud i gotta tell you something canfield's voice was faint you ought to know that mort bent forward to hear that she she left the sentence was not finished there was a crash a cave-in something heavy fell across mort's legs numbing them his hands were free however and he felt about a huge object lay where canfield had been he recognized it as his own still and canfield was under it but even in the fresh horror he wondered about that unfinished sentence what was it linda had left that seemed more important than all the havoc he was accurately resentful because the still had not waited a few seconds longer before snuffing out canfield's life a piece of iron rolled down on his arm imprisoning it securely but after a time he managed to free himself by wriggling out of his coat the crackling above continued gradually by some fresh arrangement of debris the weight was lifted from his legs and now the pain was terrific what was it linda had left he fainted it was night when he came to the crackling had ceased water blessed water was trickling into his face he heard voices but he could not muster a sound from his own throat greaves mort greaves 
Canfield, they called. If only some of the water would trickle into his mouth, maybe he could answer. He tried to cup some of it in his hands. He was too weak. A voice, Wimples, said solemnly, Well, boys, they're gone, I guess. Women were there, too. He caught a thin tremble of their voices. Maybe Linda, looking for Canfield. Then someone said, We might as well go home. You can't help the poor lads none. Everything grew still. Their footsteps soon died away up the dirt road. He lay half fainting for a long time. A very little strength came to his limbs. With great exertion he began to crawl about. He found that he was literally in a cage made of broken machinery and debris, safe enough as long as he kept quiet. But the least jar might bring some great weight down upon him, as his still had tumbled on Canfield. He perspired coldly at the thought. What was it Linda had left? Again he fainted. It seemed a long time afterward that he awoke again and remembered his cage. But it was still night. Good God! I can't crawl around in a circle forever, he thought, and pulled recklessly at the heat-distorted pipe. To his surprise, nothing disastrous happened. He pulled some more, working like mad. Ah, he was free, under the stars, breathing sweet air. He went down in a heap. But soon he began to crawl again. He tried to get up and walk, but that was impossible. He could only crawl a few feet at a time, but he kept on. At dawn he found himself in the woods near the stillworks. Trees, clean and cool, lulled him with soft sounds. Moss and grass invited his racked frame. He tried to call, but his voice was still gone. He tried to think, to plan. Too hard. There was a little brook there, and he dipped his hands into it, sucking the water eagerly. Then he slept. Real slumber. At dusk he awoke, with a half-scream. Rest had restored his voice. He could think now, too. But that was no comfort, for all he could think of was, Linda! Linda! He beat the ground with his fist crazily. If only he, and not Canfield, had perished. For she wanted Canfield. He took a long draught of water and started to crawl again. He tried to formulate a plan, to have a definite objective. But that was still too exhausting. So he just kept on, crawling, resting, dozing, all through the night. At length he came out of the woods, and painfully made his way across the road. Then, after a sleeping spell that must have been longer than usual, blinding sunlight smote him squarely in the eyes through an opening in some shrubbery. He looked about curiously. He was lying close beside a white building, effectively screened by thick shrubbery. A fugitive could not have found a better place. He was no fugitive, 
but he was thankful that there were no curious eyes to behold his weakness what was this white building anyhow it couldn't be a farmhouse for nobody moved about in it and the schoolhouse was red brick why it was the church of course strange and funny too he and linda had been married here musing unhappily he fell asleep again this time a pleasing sound awakened him singing in the church a hymn too must be sunday he muttered he raised himself on one elbow a string of buggies lined the roadside and a slim blue automobile that was queer young Payne never went to church but no one but young Payne had a slim blue car merciful heaven there was a hearse who's dead he muttered the hymn ended and the voice of the old preacher the same that had married him groaned gently out of the open window dear friends i am called upon this day to perform a sad duty two of our brethren have departed the vale you all know the tragic fate of george canfield and morton greaves mort began to tremble violently his own funeral have they got me in a box for sure he wondered he crept along until he was under the window then by terrible effort he raised himself upright there was a thick vine over the window so no one could see him but he made out the interior clearly there were a lot of people and there were two coffins they have got me mort whispered i must have went along with canfield he never doubted it nor did it seem so very strange leisurely the elder launched into his sermon of our brother george canfield i know but little it is neither my desire nor my duty to go into that little he means about linda thought mort let us therefore not judge him let us with charity in our hearts consign him to the almighty judge but our other brother morton greaves was well known to us all and well beloved the elder's voice shook mort continued to stand clinging to the sill it seemed somehow vaguely worthwhile to stand at one's own funeral he watched the scene with interest there was mrs buttery there was peter wimble and caspar judd all crying and yes sir there was ed zook crying too mort had no near relatives but there were rows and rows of neighbors and young Payne, aloof and elegant and strangely haggard linda was not there he was glad of that friends this is a mighty hard funeral sermon to preach the old minister smiled his sweet wise smile the audience stirred understandingly but i have come to the conclusion that there is no use winking at facts i could stand here and sing only praises of morton greaves but the last months of his life were not deserving of praises mort's jaw sagged in astonishment 
he had been in a sort of detached sympathy with the tears and the sadness but this plain talk was it usual at funerals he wondered he didn't like it up to six months ago our brother was a fine young man a loving husband a good neighbor a loyal citizen he was thrifty and ambitious he was respected his home was a happy home what then changed this respected young man what brutalized his fine young manhood disappointment friends disappointment over the loss of a few paltry hundred dollars huh muttered mort the parson never saw a hundred dollars all at once in his life six months ago morton greaves was defrauded of his savings it was a blow a hard blow but it was a test sent by the lord and did he stand up under the test no he broke down like a child over a broken toy and he turned to the one thing no member of his family could ever touch with safety drink you know the rest friends and all because he could not meet the petty trial like a man petty trial losing all that money thought mort indignantly the preacher went on after his own lights and at length mort also was consigned to the almighty gosh muttered mort if that almighty judge hands it out any plainer i don't know what'll become of me there was a prayer another hymn and the processional filed out mort sank i wonder have they got me in that box he honestly did not know he seemed to be alive he ached as if he were alive the pain in his legs was very much alive but so much had happened lately he couldn't be sure he watched the procession move up to the cemetery a few rods distant suddenly a fit of rage possessed him hell of a lot the parsons knows he said savagely if i am alive and ever get on my legs again i'm going to drink and drink till the stuff's all gone ambitious thrifty loving husband hell he did not know he was making his last resistance to the preacher's indictment the prolonged effort of standing had used up his small store of strength he lay down exhausted his anger spent and watched the burial there was a sneer on his lips but in his heart he was not sneering in his heart he felt solemn then he slept it was evening when he opened his eyes a sound a terrible sound came to him sobbing dry and racked his first thought was ain't the funeral done yet then it occurred to him that nothing about the funeral had been so terrible as this sobbing it tore his heart what could it be it seemed to come from the cemetery then suddenly he knew and closed his eyes she's grieving for him darling darling linda's agonized voice came through the shadows mort darling he started she had said mort mort forgive linda it was a feeble cry but it brought her 
she did not seem greatly surprised to find him there perhaps she too had gone through waters too deep to allow a small thing like surprise she leaned over him tenderly held his blackened head against her breast oh god she whispered awesomely and she carried him in her strong young arms he had lost weight amazingly across the meadow to their cottage dawn found mort bathed between clean sheets almost content physically he watched linda as she worked about the room how pretty she was how tender her movements how he loved her if only she hadn't gone away if only for he tried to be just he had not driven her away how happy they might be if only she smiled to see him awake but she did not quite meet his eyes you feeling better she asked with an anxious low tone heaps they fell silent again say who did they have in that there box he demanded suddenly i don't guess it was me after all oh that she seemed to welcome any distraction from the main issue why you see they couldn't find hide nor hair of you except your coat so they thought as how you must be either all burned up or blowed up she shivered and it didn't seem right to be given given him christian burial and not you so they thought as how they'd bury your coat anyways it seems kind of funny now don't it there was a hysterical and tremulous note in her utterance mort laughed a little weakly it is sort of funny he said linda continued to busy herself about the room young payne's going to build up again she said presently granny peebles heard it so in town yesterday you'll get your place back still she did not look at him mort did not reply god girl he burst out at last look at me she faced him breathing fast you don't mean you're karen after she whispered karen come here girl she flew to him flung herself down beside the pillow held him close oh thank god i can tell you now she said crying for joy now i know you care even thinking that i hush linda never speak of it again but i must i got to tell you that i i left him before we got to the station i've been up at granny peebles all the time mort it was like him to pretend i went along mort was piecing fragments he understood now what canfield had tried to tell him a sense of peace and happiness came over him chastened steady happiness he knew that he should not swerve when the next test came a warm forenoon sunshine splashed the neat chamber brightly it warmed their sober thoughtful faces it warmed the pink rose on the wall it warmed linda's round white arm that hovered near him on the coverlet the arm with the blue mark now fast fading thank god i won't say it ain't spooky attending your own funeral but it's the best thing that ever happened to me said mort linda nodded smiling 
The End of His Own Funeral by Melba Russell McCallum